Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could spend some time with myself, John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. It uh, looks like spring has sprung. Uh, so we hope that you're enjoying this uh, beautiful weather on this uh, wonderful Wednesday. Uh, markets are kind of slow right now, so we'll uh, unpack what we're seeing. And, and we do have on tap a gentleman who has uh, some expertise in an area that a lot of folks are going to be addressing on either side of the equation. <laughs> and that is uh, this great wealth transfer, something that you're hearing a lot in the media and something that uh, we know millennials are really expecting. So we want to look at, you know, what we do here, Daniel and I really enjoy looking at the good, the bad, and the unknown or the unforeseen. So we can all agree that every coin has two sides along with an edge, and we want to see both sides of that coin. Because uh, when it comes to the wealth transfer, so many of us are looking to do that for the kids and the grandkids. And so many of the grandkids and the kids are expecting this transfer to happen. Only we need to be prepared for what might not happen, which means you're not going to get what you were expecting. <laughs> you might not get anything. So we want to help you see how you might be better prepared. As, as you know, it, it, we are fond of saying the proof is in the planning. That's our registered trademark. And, and we feel strongly about doing good planning. And of course, that means we've got to look at, be, be agile, look at both sides of the street when we're crossing, not preoccupied, looking at our phones or at our feet, we've got to pay attention. So as you know, we like to do here is talk a little bit about the market uh, and to kind of get a sense for what's going on. And when we look at the market, we don't just want to look at it in terms of what's happening today. We like to try to give some perspective in terms of how the market is performing for the year, and then also put some light on the road ahead, you know, turn on our high beams, use our GPS to have discussions around, well, where could we go from here? And we think that is a very important conversation so that people are better prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen, because most of us, let's put it this way, a year ago, what was it, Daniel, February 19th through March 23rd, Markets are off 35%. Most people don't remember that because their accounts are back, but they also don't know how their accounts perform, which I think me, means that many of us are just a sitting duck for what happened before to happen again. <laughs> if we weren't prepared the last time, I doubt that most of us are going to be any better prepared for the next time. And so we now hope that uh, there's some returns that will cover the losses. But let's suppose that that doesn't happen. We think we should consider that as a possibility because, as you can see, there's just a lot of unknowns going on right now. And you have to keep your eye on everything when you're awake. So looking at the Dow from January 1 through today, and we're, what, uh, about uh, – 54 minutes away from closing for the day, but it's off about uh, 16 points. 
but for the year, it's up 9.22%. That's actually a very good return for the Dow Jones 30, the 30 probably largest companies in the US of A. The Standard and Poor's is pretty similar. Uh, it's actually having a good day. It's up uh, 5% or five points, I'm sorry. But year to date, it's up 8.62%. So that's a good one to kind of watch in terms of how the overall economy is going. A year ago, it was uh, off to the races with NASDAQ. I mean, that's where all the gains were happening, right? So far this year, we see that that's not happening so much. In fact, uh, surprisingly, the NASDAQ uh, is uh, following the Dow. In other words, it's up only 6.3%. These are all good numbers, seeing as this is, what, April 7th. Uh, so, you know, we're barely into the second quarter. They're all good numbers for second quarter numbers. But as I say, what we've seen with NASDAQ so far this year has been quite remarkable in that it seems to have flipped and flopped from being positive and negative. So, and, and, and one of the reasons that's important to watch is because if we look at some of the uh, experiences we've had in the past, particularly 2000 to 2002, we saw that the NASDAQ had a magnificent run the last five years of the 90s, but then of course turned upside down in, in the span of all of 30 months come 2000, starting around February 2000, as I recall. So what you can see from that is we saw some of the dot-coms kind of become unraveled first, and then the larger tech stocks unraveled second, and then it was a great wave through the rush to the bottom, how low can we go, for all stocks uh, with, with the NASDAQ leading uh, dramatically in that 30-month period. Those kinds of things happen, and that's why we say we need to learn from history, not just be like I would submit most Americans are. We're too busy repeating history, so we don't learn anything from history. Well, we want to learn from history. It's happened before. Could it happen again? More importantly, does it have to happen to you is, is I think, the best question to pose. Uh, we don't need to sit with it if we can avoid dipping into the lows or minimizing those losses, because one of the things that Daniel and I have uh, come to recognize here in America with investors that many uh, savvy investors hate losses of any type far more than they love gains. So they want to limit those losses. And uh, that's part of what we like to do to help people recognize how that might be possible. There's no guarantees, but if we don't see what's possible, then we're left to go down like the Titanic and unfortunately never see light at the end of the day. So that's not what we want to do because we want to stick around and enjoy our lives. So we do have some good news uh, Daniel, looks like we've got a, uh, a tax break that uh, the IRS is providing where you can, uh, retirees can give more to charity and, and less to the IRS. So uh, how does this work and who does this apply to? Uh, it really applies to everyone over in requirement of distribution age. And this isn't something that's new. This is something that's been around for a long time. And it's something that we've liked a lot for people that have to take required distributions, but don't necessarily need them. And just to kind of give you a, a, a quick up summary on required distributions um, prior to last year once you once you hit age 70 and a half and now age 72 the irs requires that you start taking distributions out of your retirement accounts they do that because they want their tax you've enjoyed a lot of tax regrowth on this money since you've been contributing it probably back going back to your 20s or 30s now the irs wants their cut they always want their cut 
So they want you to take money out of your retirement account. It means it's taxable and it starts at about 3.6% and it goes up a little bit every year. But for a lot of people, if you have outside income, whether it be from Social Security, a pension, or you're still working, and you don't need that, those required distributions to live on, you can donate that money to a charity. It's called a Qualified Charitable Distribution, and the money has to go directly to a charity from the custodian. And it can't be payable to you. If it's payable to you, it doesn't count. But if it goes directly to the charity, then that's a tax free contribution or di distribution from your retirement account directly to the charity. It's a great source for people that are making contribution, making charitable distribution or contributions to some kind of charity um, with their, with their own individual money. And uh, this gives them a way to, to, to give them a tax free distribution. Now, one of the big things is when you're making a, this distribution from your retirement account, you can't take the deduction on your taxes. For most people, if you're making those, those, those uh, charitable, those charitable donations, you can deduct that. Uh, if it comes directly out of your out of your retirement account, you can't do that because you just simply don't claim the income. It's like a top line deduction from your income. So it's kind of like most of us were able to take a mortgage deduction if we owned a home. We could take that off the top. Is that how this works? Uh, kind of. At a mortgage deduction, you you can you can deduct the the interest payments, and here right. you could you simply you simply don't claim that income. So if you, as an example, let's say you're taking your required distribution for the year was ten thousand dollars. If it came, if that money came directly to you, that would be taxable income of an additional ten thousand dollars. If it goes directly to the charity, you simply don't claim that income. It's as if you never took it. Well, and it's important to note, folks, that this, uh, check me if I'm right or wrong here, Daniel, with the required minimum distributions now, as he said, you know, before it was, you had to start at 70 and a half. Now you have to start taking withdrawals at 72. And the withdrawal rate, it's, it's kind of hard to find that. You'll see a distribution table, but looking at the withdrawal rates, it, it used to be, what was it, 3.65%? I think that's, is that the correct ratio at 72 now, somewhere in that neighborhood? But the real point, folks, is that notice that this, this distribution requirement notches up a bit every single year. And the last time I looked, I think the ratio was about 11% if you had the, the, the good fortune to stick around past 90. <laughs> so notice, the as Daniel was saying, the IRS wants their tax, and their cut of the taxes keep rising as you keep living. This is something to be aware of because... What that really means is as those distribution table rates increase, it increases the odds of your having to take out principal. You know, now principal's not sacred, but for so many of us, we've been trained to buy low, sell high, not to sell, buy the dips, hold and hope. You know, that's something that we've been taught to do. When we have traditional retirement accounts, that no longer becomes optional because now the IRS is saying every dollar you take out from a traditional retirement account is one, going to be taxed. And two, each year that withdrawal rate is going to rise regardless of what happens to your account value. Have you looked at those tables recently, Daniel? I have. They're, they're essentially the exact same um, percentages. They just moved back a couple years. Okay. 
And you're right, those, uh, those tables are a little hard to read. It's an, IRS, uh, it's an IRS table where they give you a life expectancy and a factor. So the factor right. is like 22, and you actually have to take one divided by 22 to figure out the actual percentage. So it's Nobody's definitely not intuitive. <laughs> no. <laughs> not a little. It'll make it simple. And, and, and Daniel, I actually attended one workshop uh, separately with a CPA who says, uh, he, how did he call it, Daniel, that uh, these- uh, Tax-infested dollars. Tax-infested dollars. <laughs> this is a CPA talking. And, and I love, really, his whole premise. He says, look, the financial services industry and the accounting industry has told everybody, stuff every dollar you possibly can into a retirement account. You get tax deferred growth, and it might increase your value over time 30% more than if you were trying to save with after-tax dollars. And he's correct. He's also correct to observe that neither industry helps people recognize what is part of their future from the standpoint of, I mean, we've had people, you know, at 3.65, you know, let's say 4%, just to round up. That's that's pretty innocuous. And maybe you had a 6% return. So you're not withdrawing for principal. But then people get into their 80s. And many times, I mean, they're angry. I, they're literally angry because they're like, I don't need this money. I don't want this money. And the government's making me take it out. I don't like this. And then, it, you know, where you put real salt in the wound is if it were the case like 2008, where you know you had a great 2007 and you took withdrawals on a higher base and then it's an increased withdrawal in 2008 where your account value is significantly lower, it, it often really makes their skin crawl recognizing that I, now I can't catch up with this. And, and, and they're, they're correct, they're absolutely correct. It, it's, a, it's a runaway train uh, because you're going to exhaust these principal, the principal, particularly when there's a market decline. I mean, for example, let's suppose that you only took out, we're gonna say 4%, but the market had a downdraft of 50%. Oh my goodness, you know, if that gets to, what is it, 60%, Daniel? Now we need a gain of, is it 150%? 150%, yeah. I mean, do you, do you like those odds, folks? So we think this is a conversation you want to have with your kids and your family, your friends, because these things do happen. And do you want to depend on the odds of needing 150% gain just to get back in the game, if you will? So that's why we're making a real push for educating folks to recognize when we're taking withdrawals, it's a new set of rules. Now we need to look at what we can do to limit the declines. There are ways that those things can be done as opposed to just ride the roller coaster and then hoping that the market might put the money back in your pocket that may or may not happen particularly i mean if you're if you had a a 60 decline and you're taking withdrawals and you need a 150 percent gain to get back to even daniel can you put any odds on how likely you think that might happen the, the question is not whether it'll be it'll it'll come back to even it's it's over what time period because it could take eventually it will probably likely it will it's always gotten back to even but the time period is is the wild card well but i mean if, if the hole is too deep i mean if we're at 150 percent and now my withdrawal rate has to go from four percent to let's say 4.2 percent the very next year and this continues under those conditions is it i don't know how it's conceivable 
that this account, I mean, if a million dollars, let's say you took out 35,000, but the market took away, you know, nine from peak to trough, 57%, that's a 60% loss. Your, your million dollars minus 600,000 is all of 400,000. Now, it, do you believe <laughs> the odds are in your favor, favor that the 400,000 might get back to a million as you're taking increased withdrawals? No, the IRS designed this so you're going to exhaust the account. There we are. And many people are living on this money. And many of us believe we're going to live longer than the life expectancy, as we've discussed here. Uh, the, uh, the CDC, uh, just in February of this year, took the average life expectancy for those of us in these United States down a year from 79 in 2019 to 78 in 2020, primarily due to COVID. And, and just to keep things uh, on parity, we see that uh, the UK, Japan, and Canada, their life expectancy has moved north. In fact, uh, those expectancy ages are all north of 80 years old. But here we've gone backwards. So if you think you're going to live because you've got resources and you've got uh, good, good genes, hopefully you do. But you don't want to outlive your money. That's the whole point that we're making here. And that's why it's so important for people to figure out what kind of losses they can live with before those losses occur. So we're gonna take a, a, a quick break here, folks. Please stick with us, stay with us. We'll have uh, Jim Better up, uh, who has a better idea of how folks can keep their assets intact as opposed to watch them just get frittered away or used by some other organization. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance. Coupled with a sound plan for the future, with the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YBPoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. 
To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. Daniel Medina and I, John Grace, are delighted you could spend uh, your 60 minutes with us. We try to put a lot of meat on the bone and make sure you leave with some good information, at least some things to think about. And, and in fact, when you do pose a question, I want you to know if you provide your email address, we will provide you with my copy or your copy of my book as my gift. So it is available on eBay. It's available at Amazon. It's called Making Finance Make Sense. It's available either in the Kindle version or at a paperback version. And, and maybe you, you might like this. I think uh, whether it's eBay or Amazon, the cost for the book, under 100 pages, by the way, is all of 15 or $16. So you know I won't be getting rich off the book, but we are glad to try and provide what we think are some concepts that make sense for people to kind of dip their toe in the water, come in on the beach entrance as opposed to dive in and recognize how they can put their life savings in order so that whether you live too long or die too soon or have children to educate, you can put a plan together. And again, our trademark that we're really pleased with is the proof is in the planning. So speaking of planning, I have several friends who it's, it's interesting for me to be with them or at least remember what we could do that. And they were all having conversations that I would just listen to. And they, and they love this term, the great wealth transfer. I think it's been bantered about in the media for some, t- some time. And of course, it is the expected shift of assets from baby boomers to their children as the older generation passes away over the next uh, 20 to 30 years. Remember, life expectancy has come down in the United States of America. So uh, some analysts forecast their parents will bequeath trillions of dollars in wealth to their children. So what we say to the millennials or to my friends who are having these conversations, what part of that fortune will land in your bank account? Maybe but you should not count on it. <laughs> in fact, just to kind of put it in perspective, this comes from uh, Jen Wirth's cost of care survey in 2019 shows that the national average cost of a private room in a nursing home was $102,000 per year. I mean, just try and wrap your mind around that. That's not spending time on a yacht in, in uh, Hawaii, all right? It's in a single nursing home, $102,000 a year. Average cost for cancer treatments run in the $150,000 range. And hiring a home health aide for 44 hours, depending on where you live, uh, tends to average about fifty-two over $52,000 a year. Uh, this is all according to AARP. So another study found that in the last five years of life, hang on to your hats with this one, the cost of a person with dementia on averaging totaling more than $287,000. And by the way, that's in 2010. So of course, we all know that that number is much larger today than it was 10 years ago. So we are delighted that Jim uh, Better could join us this morning because not only ha- does he have his own experience to tell in terms of what he was expecting and what didn't happen, he's now in the business of helping people look at, you know, how are you going to address these long-term care costs in such a way where the assets that you intended to give or receive actually occur? Jim, uh, tell us what you do and, and how you do what you do. Well, thank you, John and Daniel, for inviting me on today. Um, I started my insurance business back in the mid-80s. So if you count your fingers, that gives me about 40 years worth of experience. 
Um, and my, I have an agency that continues to operate quite effectively uh, back east, but that agency focuses on group insurance plans. But roughly 23 years ago, um, I remember growing up with my mother, she would say, I have this money, and when I pass, you guys are going to get it. And it was roughly $300,000 there. And so my brother, sister, and I were looking forward to $100,000 from, from my mother. Um, well, she got sick with cancer. Um, and she, she uh, survived with it for about three years, a little bit more than three years. And guess what happened to that money? All that money was spent on her long-term care. Right. Well, being in the insurance business, I was embarrassed to not know that there was a solution to preserving those assets. Uh, so for the last 20 years, I've become the canary in the mine shaft, trying to educate people, look, you have to have a plan in place. You can't just go on assumptions and hope that that money is going to be there for you or for your children when you pass it on. You know, you, you, you were talking earlier about assets and the growth of assets and how that can be cyclical. Well, when people go into their retirement years, that money that they've accumulated, you calculate it into income. Um, now, income uh, to cover your lifestyle is good as long as you don't have a blip on the market. Uh, that is long-term care expenses interfering in the assumptions that you made that you would have enough money to keep your lifestyle going. Uh, the fact is that women generally can be expected to need 3.4 years of care uh, for their long-term care issues. Men, 2.8 years. So I guess the, the women just seem to live better in captivity, I guess. Um, and as you pointed out, John, the cost of long-term care, um, well, let me put it in a, in a framework of people who are putting mom into a nursing home care these days, and they're saying, this costs how much? They're just unaware of how expensive it is for long-term care expenses. Now, what... Go ahead, John. You have a question? Yeah, well, I want to uh, jump in here, please, Jim, because I want to help people understand a couple of things. One, uh, we're talking about averages, which we think is the right way to address these kinds of conversations, because if you're looking for outliers, you can find them, but that not, may not be your story. It, it, we're, we're talking about averages for people in the United States. What I want to say first is that when it comes to people of color, these uh, expenses or this time seems to be even more pronounced, if you will, because uh, minorities for the most part have even fewer resources than uh, what is the current majority able to uh, enjoy, if you will. And, and when we look at uh, exhausting assets, you know, uh, people, families might rely on your children for caretaking, other financial support to help them out. Uh, AARP estimates that the average family caregiver, who is more likely to be female, as, as you noted, Jim, spends roughly $7,000 per year, or this is a good way to look at it, 20% of their annual income, just in out-of-pocket costs to take care of the parents. So, you, you know, if you don't support your parents financially, lost wages from caregiving can be substantial if you're the caregiver. And, and by the way, many people, when we sit with them, they say, well, I'd like to retire at age fill in the blank. And guess what happens that gets in the way of that goal? It's a healthcare event, either to yourself or someone in the family. And now you can't work and contribute as you plan to, because one of you in the household has to uh, make different plans to take care of uh, mom or dad. And that might be times two. 
So how do you how do you help people address this? Because now they're concerned about the the state of um, let's say healthcare facilities, particularly long term care facilities, uh, nursing homes, for example. How, how do you help them address it? And also the, the 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 emotions they have of oh we're putting dad in a home or we're putting mom in a in a home. We really don't want to do that. Well, the, the emotional and the financial black hole, as I refer to it, when, when people come face to face with what the expense is, um, it's not an issue so much of um, uh, the emotional part, because that's not something that um, anybody can plan for. Um, my mom, when she was sick, and uh, I'll use the example of my dad, um, he was sick in the, in the VA hospital um, and um, uh, three weeks before he went into a coma, he says, are you sure I don't have to pay for any of this? And the fact was he was VA, he had a disability from the World War II and it was all covered. And I looked at it and I said, I could never afford to have this kind of care um, without having some source, a resource of money for it. So I, with the, in, in addition to my mother's experience, I went out and I bought a long-term care policy for myself. Um, there are a number of ways people can deal with it. You know, first of all, when we talk about insurance products, we're, we're not talking about, we're talking about people who have assets to protect. Um, or, and they also want to make sure to be able to transfer the wealth to their children. Um, the assets that, that they're going to need it for their long-term care, um, if, they, if they have assets, then it's protected by an insurance product. And people who don't have any assets, well, you know, there's a government safety net. In California, they call it Medi-Cal. Um, and the rest of the 49 states, they call it Medicaid. Uh, but it's there to, to help catch people who haven't been able to plan and don't have the resources to pay for their long-term care expenses, which, as you noted, can be very high. Um, but people with assets, um, they're the folks who have to plan for it. You can't go on the basis of an assumption or a hope. You have to be realistic if you're in your 40s or 50s and 60s that you have to make a plan for it. And it's not just a financial issue, John. It's also a legal issue. Um, people have to have their powers of attorney in place, protect their assets that they do have in trust documents. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged responsibility um, when you're facing long-term care. It's a financial thing and it's a legal thing. You know, speaking of legal, let me say this real quick, and then I know Daniel has some questions. He always likes to evaluate products that are available now as opposed to in the past, and, you know, what about increasing premiums? But I want to make sure that the audience recognizes that, folks, the, the, the worst thing you could do is not tell your family where the money is, right. all right? You've got to tell them where the money is and tell them, if you can, what you want them to do with it. But you have to first tell them how to put their hands on that money. Because I know of so many situations where mom has forgotten who the beneficiaries are. She doesn't remember any of the people on the list because dad's already passed away. She's not thinking of the kids or the grandkids. But the point is, you if you if you believe you're a beneficiary, you ought to check to see that your name's on the list because that's the way whoever's name's on that list is the way the money's going to go. But the, as I say, the people with the assets need to take some responsibility. Don't keep it a secret. 
put the issue on the table, talk about what you have, and then they can get, at, you can have a dialogue with your family about what do you want to have happen? What would you like for me to do with this money? And then I, I love this is uh, from, from Warren Buffett, you know, it, it's in regards to a large inheritance might not be in the heir's best interest. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So Warren Buffett, I think it was in 1986, it was Fortune Magazine. His quote was that he would leave his kids enough money so that they would feel they could do anything, but not so much that they could do nothing. <laughs> All right. He's what, 85 years old. And last I looked, he's about $86 billion, but I think that's a couple of years ago. So I'm sure it's higher than it is uh, today than it was. But the real question is, you know, how much do you want them to have and what do you want them to do with it? But please be conscious and verbal in terms of what assets you have, what you need to do to collect those assets. Because the, the, the honest truth is, whether it's the bank or the insurance company, they can see, you know, if they go to uh, check the uh, who might have passed away, they can see their depositors may have passed, maybe on a list. They're not going to inform you. You have to come to them with the documents, including like a certified copy of the death certificate, typically. So the assets can be released to you, or you can spend a lifetime in agony and maybe a whole lot of money in um, legal expenses, trying to get what you were supposed to have. Let's make it easy. Let's make it simple for everybody involved. Daniel, you, you have a question about uh, products the, available today for Jim. Yeah, Jim, I, I you know you follow this pretty closely. Um, can you go over the differences between the old long-term care products and what's what's available today or how, how, the, how the products have been changing? Yeah, good question. Um, the the Primary products these days are the traditional style, which is the old style, um, and it functions pretty much like your home insurance or your auto insurance. Unless your house burns down, they're not going to pay you anything. Now, with the long-term care traditional style policy, you can continue to pay that premium until you need the care at which point then the insurance company starts paying the bills and your premiums cease. Now, in about 10 years ago, um, an insurance company out of the upper Midwest, uh, One America, also known as State Mutual, came out with what they call a hybrid contract. Uh, hybrid contracts have become very popular because it, it does three things. It doesn't just pay for long-term care expenses, but if, if the person who holds a policy were to die without needing the long-term care, expense part, then it pays off like a life insurance policy. The other feature that it has is that if down the road you continue to pay the premium and it's whatever reason you decide you don't need the policy anymore, they'll give you all or some of your money back. And then, of course, it's also there to cover the long-term care expenses. Um, those are, as far as the insurance world is concerned, that's where, where most of the interest is for people these days. And the hybrids, of course, are more popular than, than the, the uh, uh, traditional style because people in their 40 years old, 40s or 50s can say, okay, I just want to pay for this for 10 years. So I don't have to worry about long-term care expenses when I retire. And I don't have to worry about paying premium anymore. So they can put 10 years worth of premium in. And then the policy is effectively paid up for life. And it's very attractive to people. And if they don't use it, as they say, it pays off in a death benefit as well. Um, and if they want their money back, they can get that as well. Now, I know in my own case, the most important insurance policy I own these days is my long-term care policy, because my wife is very clear in saying that she's not going to help me take a shower. 
or provide any of those other activities of daily living. Um, and I have the resources. I don't have to tap into my accounts because the long-term care policy is going to pay for those expenses. So I feel the older I get, the more valuable that policy becomes. And notice, folks, that Jim and his wife have had a conversation about what both parties are willing to do and what the other party is going to expect. That's good to have that on the table well in advance, right? Because that could be a problem, right, between the family. Uh, she told yeah. me, you now you're complaining to the kids, the grandkids, that strife that really nobody needs. What else, Daniel? Well, you talked about the old-style policies, um, and I know for some of our clients, we've been seeing premiums go up. Is that pretty consistent across the industry? Well, good question. Um, the traditional style policies do have the ability and have at some point in the past um, have had increases. Now, a cautionary note is that um, when the old style plans, the um, underwriters were assuming that they were going to get seven or eight or nine percent on their deposits, which of course isn't true anymore. Uh, they expected to be people who would would expire in their mid to late seventies. That isn't happening anymore. People are living well into their eighties and nineties, notwithstanding the twenty twenty results. Um, these days, the underwriting process is more focused on exactly what they're going to be able to receive on their money, and it expects people to live longer. So their price better now. But the older contracts, I know my policy has gone up twice in the 20 years that I've had it. Um, do I expect it might go up again? It may. Um, but, you know, it's it's still that price wouldn't um, wouldn't be a backbreaker for me or for anybody else as they get older because of the, the value of that contract. And the contracts, even the older style traditional policies can be modified to mitigate the impact of any price increase by reducing the inflationary factor that you have built into it, um, lowering the amount of, of insurance that it covers. You know, there are a number of um, there's a lot of ability to be able to modify policy if you happen to have a traditional style plan that does see an increase. All right, let me give you a couple of numbers here or an idea first, and that is relying on an inheritance is unwise, folks. Please bake your own case, uh, your own cake. And this is 2016 numbers from United Income, but uh, the, the, what they're suggesting is that the average inheritance was $295,000. That's the closest data that we can find. But the median U.S. inheritance happens to be much lower than the average inheritance numbers would suggest. So these numbers can vary greatly. As I say, bake your own cake, and then whatever shows up will be icing on the cake as opposed to you need it, you have to have it. And I will tell you with that kind of habit, it's gone in a nanosecond. So Jim, better. we're so glad you could join us uh, this beautiful afternoon. Thank you for helping us see a little bit clearer around the next corner and maybe plan a little bit better. We'll look to have you back here soon. Thank you for the opportunity. Folks, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. 
So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YBPoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YBPoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. Delighted you could spend some time with us this afternoon. We really enjoyed having uh, Jim Better on with us looking at long-term care. And I love his personal story, expecting to get 300000 from his mom. And it turns out they watched it all get whittled away by final healthcare expenses. And that's not uncommon. So as we say, we like, for, we like to take the time to put some light on these different subjects so people can see what's it ahead of them as opposed to them waking up with shock and awe going, I had no idea. I was counting on this money and now it's all gone. And you don't have a backup plan, which is really often the case. So so we also want you to know that we are providing at no cost a free financial plan. Now, the average cost in America for financial plan we find is about $2,000. The folks here, Daniel and I, will spend 90 minutes uh, as our first, uh, you know, uh, our primary team with a, a, a couple or an individual who is an essential worker at no cost to put their financial plan in place. And that includes three parts, like how much money you're going to need to make work optional, on your terms, on your in your time frame, what happens in the event? Speaking of insurance, if heaven forbid, regardless of whether or not the two parties are married, there's one party that uh, goes to heaven, has the nerve to go to heaven. What does the leftover party, you know, the responsible living party? I had four hands, now I have two. How am I going to keep all these people, all this stuff? doing what we used to do when I had two incomes. So the insurance we think is really very important. And frankly, when it comes to life insurance, most of us have not taken enough time to figure out, do I have sufficient coverage? We go, oh yeah, I got life insurance, but we don't know if the coverage is sufficient for you. <laughs> and by the way, don't just get uh, complicit and complacent. Say, well, I've got 500,000. She's got 500,000. We're more, more worth more dead than alive. Well, you might be in a lump sum, but in terms of having an income, you may find that it's a whole new ball game and it's it's not fun. So you want to know that in the event the other breadwinner goes to heaven, financially, it's a non-event. 
And then if you have children, we want to make sure that we all get to the graduation from college. But guess what? We're all crying, not just because the children finished getting across the graduation line, but because nobody's left with any debt. We have clients who have uh, gone to school and they've got $80,000, $100,000 worth of debt for their college education. And guess what? They're depressed. <laughs> they're honestly depressed because they feel like they're carrying this cross for the rest of their lives and they can't do anything in terms of forming families, buying a house. It just really kind of helps them uh, feel inadequate and we don't, we don't want to do that. Speaking of inadequate, let's turn our attention to uh, Americans, okay? We like to call ourselves this American exceptionalism. We're the best and the brightest. Well, that's what we say, but here's what we, we know. 25%, that would be one out of four Americans have no retirement savings. So that means out of every four people you know, one of them has zero retirement savings. Now, let's understand, as we've been discussing, it's often the case that people intend to work but some kind of a medical situation interrupts that plan. So now someone in the household has to care for someone else in a different household, maybe the same household. But if you have no retirement savings whatsoever, what are you going to do depend on to live to keep yourself going the way you used to go when you were going out to get the money to bring it home to spend the money? So we think that is a real problem, and it gets a little more interesting because the, the, the first part of this isn't uh, surprising, and by the way, all of this comes from PwC, but uh, the ones with the money are 55 to 64-year-olds. Well, that's not surprising. Here's the surprising part. Uh, the, the PwC found that the average saved is a whopping $120,000 between 55 to 64 well, Daniel, is that enough? No, it's for most people, it's not even close to enough. And I love this article says that that could produce an income of about $1,000 a month. Well, that's a 10% withdrawal. That's a 10% withdrawal. That's $12,000 a year from $120,000. How long is that going to last? That's if you're lucky, that'll last more than a little more than 10 years, if you're lucky. And it's only $1,000. So folks, we, we've got to turn on the lights and do the math. Math is a four-letter word we have to use and get comfortable with here in America. So what we're saying is don't just read these things and go, oh, geez, I, I get $1,000 a month. Do the, do the math and discover, wait a minute, that's a 10% withdrawal. Where are you getting 10% on your money every year? You tell me where. Where are you recognizing this is happening regularly? Not just once in the last five years, or maybe it was for the last 10 years, but even if you're getting 10% and you're taking out 10%, what are you doing? <laughs> Best you're staying flat. And then if something happens or you need more, I mean, $1,000, what can $1,000 buy anymore these days? Not a whole heck of a lot. So if help us do the math here, Daniel. Uh, if you're looking to replace in, in 2021 dollars, so let's say let's look at it from 40,000 to 80,000 to 120,000. Do you go with a 10% withdrawal? That's the first question. And then what would those dollar amounts be today in the event you needed 40,000, 80,000, or 120,000 dollars as your annual income? to live in retirement as you lived when you were working? 
Well, that's it's it's an easy question to answer. It's a little tough to conceptualize. So when we're talking about withdrawals from retirement accounts, we're talking about withdrawal rates, which have changed a lot over the years. I know, I think 20 years ago, withdrawals, people were saying 10% withdrawals were no problem. And then it went down to 7%. And then I think about four or five, I think when I started in the industry, people were saying 5%. Now, to be safe, people are saying about 3%. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I you, you bring back memories, Jim, talking about 40 years ago. 40 years ago, we would say, hey, 12% is a reasonable expectation of 10 to 12% is a reasonable expectation of return. And your withdrawal rates could be 7 or 8%. You're like, oh, I'm good. Well, guess what? The, the, the truth today is those withdrawal rates should be as modest as possible in the event you expect to enjoy longevity. In other words, I'm saying 2 to 3%. Now we try to work around 4%, but let's recognize the lower you can keep the withdrawal rate, the higher you keep the odds of, be, of, of, of being in a position where you don't run out of money before you run out of time. But as we've discussed a little bit, uh, you know, if you see a withdrawing at three or 4% and there's a market hurricane of over 50%, and now you're at 60% to the downside, a million dollars minus 63% would be million minus 600,000, you're left with $400,000. Well, now you should keep that withdrawal rate at 4% of $400,000, right? It was 4% on a million, that's 40. What's 4% on um, $40,000, Dan? 4% on $40,000, that's 1,600. Is that monthly? No, that's a year. Oh, oh so that's what, uh, was that 140 bucks a month? Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 120. Let's, 120 bucks a month? $133 right. a month, sorry. So we, we were at 40,000 at the peak, whenever that was, and that was roughly $3,400 a month or so, right? 40,000 annually, north of $33,000 monthly, yes? But now the account has dropped to 400,000 and, and, and that has happened in our recent history, all right? All right you said 40,000, so around 400,000, that's about $1,300 a month. Okay. So, so, so when the account drops to 400,000 and we're keeping the withdrawal rate at 4%, that's 16,000 a year. A year, right. About $1,300 a month. $1,300 a month. So it's a, it's 70% less roughly than you were living on when the account balance was at $1 million. If you wake up and it's at 400,000 to keep the longevity or the chances of this $400,000 sticking around, you want to keep the withdrawal rate three, 4% or whatever your annual balance might be. And now you have a chance of trying to do two things, keep the withdrawal low, right? Like you want to keep your expenses low and keep the return higher than your withdrawals if you can. And now the income remains uh, consistent and there can be some growth when growth occurs, but we also have to be prepared for these times where there can be, uh, in fact, Daniel, I think when you started, we were in the middle of a, a flat decade, okay? The whole decade for all intents and purposes was, was just about flat, right? So, you know, suppose there's another one as you're starting withdrawals, or there's another 20, 30, 40, 50% decline uh, around the corner as just after you start taking withdrawals. Now, as, as I say, you know, the ability to have a nice day certainly is in jeopardy. So what do you think we should be doing here, Daniel? 
better planning uh, more than anything. It's this isn't this isn't necessarily a tough question to answer. It just takes time and effort. Um, if if people take spend a little bit of time doing some planning early when they're younger, then this is a very solvable problem. It, it may require uh, just higher contributions to retirement accounts um, than what you're already doing. Now, as you get older, this problem becomes much worse. So if we're talking about the 65-year-old with $120,000 saved for retirement and he's ready to retire tomorrow, that's going to be very challenging. It's going to require some better planning. And it's not necessarily impossible, but it's just more difficult. And a lot of it depends on how much you're spending. And the key to, to, to financial life is spend less than you earn. It's really 100%. just that simple. Always. You can always make and it forever. more complicated. And everyone thinks, I just need to make more money and I'll be fine. It's not the answer. It, typically what happens when you make more money is you spend more money. So you got to spend less than you make and you'll be okay. Yes, that, that, it's just what, it, what did mom and dad tell us? You make your habits and your habits make you. That's always true. Whether you're working, making a gazillion dollars a year or $40,000, and we have clients that do both. And it's interesting to see how people actually manage their finances. Are they living within their means? Or are they trying to get more debt to look like they're doing well when they in fact aren't? And the timing might be really fascinating in here. I mean, I mean, as of today, we're right, as far as Mark's concerned, at near highs, okay? I mean, like I said, a little light today, but near highs. But there are some like Dent Research who suggests that uh, sometime this month, if we're looking at the Dow, we could see 34 to 35,000. And if we're looking at the S&P, we could see 4,050 to 4,200, but not believing there's much upside from here. And in fact, this uh, source suggests that the next crash could be occurring this year within a matter of months and, and citing that the decline could be 47 to 50%, and that might be the first leg down. So it's really important for people not just to go, well, I expect 10%, and then you wake up and it was flat or it was off 50%. Your expectations had no chance of being met, and now it's an OS moment. And of course, OS stands for oh shucks, right? But if we're looking at a scenario where, geez, we could be peaking, and now that we, to the extent that the markets find a top, guess what's next? It's like uh, Wiley Coyote, how low can we go? Now the markets are searching for a bottom and that's where things get really dicey. And if they get really dicey, what it often could portend is that the stock market could lead the real estate market by a year or so, some are suggesting, with new declines. And when we're looking at housing prices, blowing our minds of the stock market hitting new highs. And now the economy is coming back again. It's just hard to wrap your mind around these possibilities, but we've certainly seen these things happen before. And we suggest that we be as prepared as possible that they might happen again. And in fact, this is uh, just uh, a, a Yesterday, this is from Deutsche Bank, uh, the, the quote is a significant stock market consolidation may be just months away. So we have a couple of sources here or, who are warning, kind of like Jim talked about the canary in the coal mine, that we could be, uh, things are pretty hot here. Uh, and we all know, children know, seven years old around the country, every bubble bursts. So let's be prepared for those bubbles to burst and let's see what we can do to keep your assets intact. 
All right, so we're going to leave it there. This is uh, John Grace and my cohort, Daniel Medina, here on Fiscal Fitness. Folks, we'll be right back here next week from 12 to 1 Pacific time. Delighted to answer your questions. And we're really pleased to help you look at the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. See you next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.